Okay, we're going to learn in Bamidbar, Bamidbar Perik Hay, the, the first psukim of the Perik. That's what we're going to learn. We're going to learn those first psukim, but before we start, I want to remind you of a pasuk in the Torah. The pasuk that I want to remind you of is Vayikra Perik Yud Gimel, pasuk Mem Vav. Do you all remember what that is? You know that there's a new cheder uh, um, system that's very popular in Yerushalayim called Zilberman. It's called Zilberman because Rabbi Zilberman started it. Not because he gave the money. <laughs> right? Those are the two options. But in this case, it's because he started this program. And they teach little kids. <laughs> they teach, teach little kids. They say... Um, like, what did the Adam Harishon say to HaKadosh Baruch Hu? And the a correct answer is, Perek this, Pasuk this, and then they lane the Pasuk. Little kids. I mean, it's really amazing. It's like, you think that each one of them has a little computer program inside of him, and it's not really happening. It's not true. But they actually remember the Perek and the Pasuk. So I figured... It's Perek Yud Gimel, Pasuk Mem Vav. Now I'll give you a hint. Perek, Mem Gimel, Pasuk, Perek Yud Gimel, Pasuk Mem Vav is in the parish of Tazria. And the parish of Tazria, as you know, Tazria and Mitzorah, are the parishes about the Mitzoraim, Various kinds of Mitzoraim. If you remember, Vayikra, right? Sorat can affect the person's body. It can affect the person's clothes. It can affect a person's home, right? All of those three things. Now, the Pasha of Mitzorah is in the book of Vayikra. Now, we've already learned, those of you who have been kind of working this through with me, we've already learned that at the end of Shmos, the Mishkan is built, the tabernacle. That implies knowledge. You have to know what to do when you have a tabernacle. And that knowledge is largely uh, um, kind of given to B'nai Yisrael in the book of Vayikra. And the book of Vayikra, the kind of knowledge that you get in the book of Vayikra, is Korbanot, right? The sacrifices, which certainly are connected to the Mishkan. Then questions of Tum'ah v'tahara, right? Who can go in, who can't go in, what is Tameh and what is not Tameh. And then there are things that are in the book of Vayikra up to the parish of Bahar, up to the parish of Bahar, which is next to the last parish of the book of Vayikra, up to that parish, there are things that are also designated as being Tameh, even though it's a different kind of Tameh, but that word Tameh is used, right? Like animals you can eat and animals you can't eat, right? So in this book of Vayikra, up to Bahar, which now makes a lot of sense, because it's about the Mishkan that was built at the end of the book of Shemot. One of the things that we learn about is the Mitzorah. Is the Mitzorah. And the Pasuk that I'm interested in says the following. Okay, if you don't have it and you don't remember it, so you'll memorize it as I read it to you. Okay? That's what you have to do. It says, Kol yemei asher hanega bo yitma Tamehu, this mitzorah, all of the days, asher hanega bo, as long as he's obviously affected by the tzara'at, right? Tamehu, that's his, uh, his status, right? His status is tameh. And what does that mean? What does the status of tameh mean? It means, the pasuk says, badad Yoshev, or Badad Yeshev Michutz Lamachanem Moshevo. Badad Yeshev, that means this Mitzorah sits Badad. He sits alone. He sits alone. And the last part of the Pasuk is Michutz Lamachanem Moshevo. Where should he do this sitting alone? Like, where does he do it? Michutz Lamachanem. What's the problem with the Pasuk? Right? What, like, what would you like to know when you read this Pasuk? You'd like to know what Machane does the Pasuk 
refer to. Now, why would you like to know that? Because we know that when was the machane invented? When was the machane invented? I mean, the, what we call the machane. When was it invented? In the beginning of Bamidbar. In the beginning of Bamidbar. And in order to invent the machane, what did HaKadosh Baruch tell Moshe Rabbeinu to do? In the parish of Bamidbar, I mean, I know that it was Shavuos in between, and there was a tremendous amount of agitation about who made the best cheesecake of all time. But in spite of that, it's possible to remember that the machane, that the machane was invented, the machane was invented at the beginning of the book of Bamidbar. And in order to invent the machane, what did HaKadosh Baruch Hu say to Vene Yisrael that they had to do, to Moshe Rabbeinu, they had to count the people, they had to organize the tribes, three on each side, there had to be a machane of the Levi'im and a machane of Yisrael. All of that had to happen. All of that happened. That's the machane. And so this pasuk, kol yimei asher negabot that pasuk, that's the halacha, that's the din. But it doesn't mean they did it when they learned this pasuk in Vayikra. Why not? <laughs> because they weren't organized yet. It wasn't. They weren't ready to do it. There's something, you know. Somehow, when you learn the Torah, you have to kind of put it all together. You have to mush it all together. So here the Torah is talking about Mitzoraim. So naturally, the Torah put in a pasuk and it says, what do you do with the Mitzoraim? That's what the Torah taught us. That's what the Torah taught us. But when did it happen? When they had, when they had a machaneh. When did they have a machaneh? Oh, they had to count all the tribes. And then they had to count all the Levi'im. And after they counted everybody, they organized them with flags and places, these were to the north and these were to the south, etc. And then, of course, you could say, because you had a machane. But before you had a machane, before you, there was no place to send the Mitzoraim to. So that in order for the Torah to accomplish what it wanted, there had to be civilization. There had to be order. They, they just couldn't be people milling around aimlessly. But people had to have a place. And once they had a place, it was possible to say, Mi la machane. That's what, that's what happened. So that's the first thing I want to remind you of, because it's going to come up again. Let's look at the psukim. Let's look at the psukim are on the sheet. The rashi's on the sheet. I'm looking at a chumash that has larger type uh, um, type, right? Those of you who used to read the New York Times know that they get you from cradle to grave <laughs> by changing the size of the type, right? Everything just, it just goes along with you. So here I'm on this level of type now. This is, this is what it says, right? Now this parakeh comes after the machaneh either exists or could exist. Because we've got all the ingredients. We have the people are counted. They're divided into tribes. The Levi'im are divided into families. Gershon, Kahat, Merari. Each family is in charge of something. You know, has to do something. Has to be somewhere. So all of this, all of this happens. All this happens here. It happened here until Perakeh. And then the Torah says this. Now, I'm not going to try to define these terms halachically, but we know more or less tsarua is tsarat. It's some kind of an affliction, right? If you meet somebody who has it, you know they have it, right? You don't have to be a doctor. Called zav, a zav is a person who has emissions, nocturnal emissions. This is a, a separate topic, but it's also something that's physically, a person knows about it. He knows that he has these, uh, these emissions. And then Tamei Lanefesh. Tamei Lanefesh is a person who comes into contact with something that makes him Tamei. These halachot are also very complicated and uh, would take us a long time to investigate. But, but let's assume we know who this is. We know what a, who a Tsarua is. We know who a Zav is. And we know a tamela nefesh. 
then the pasuk goes on and teaches a halacha. No uh, distinction. Men and women are equally treated. And it says, Where's the machane? Well, I mean, machane could mean the whole thing. Everything that we've, we've set up up to now. That the, that the uh, tsarua and the zav and the tamela nefesh, all three of them should be sent outside of the machane. Well, where's the outside of the machane? I don't know, but if I was taking an aerial photograph of the machane in the desert, I'd see immediately where the outside of the machane is. Where exactly do they go to? That I don't know. That I don't know for the pasuk. But I guess you could do this, right? The Torah is telling us to do something that could be done. Uh, so this is the first mention. This is the first mention. Here in the Torah is the first mention that the land, the inanimate uh, uh, land, can, can be defiled. Right? In, in a pra- I, I mean, I know it's already mentioned and in Kedoshim in Vayikra. But here it is. They're in their Machaneh. Where's the Machaneh? located, it's located in the middle of the desert, but somehow it's not exactly Galut, it's actually on the way to redemption it's on the way to Eretz Yisrael, so that even though the Torah itself says that Eretz Yisrael can be defiled in this way or that way or the other way. And the assumption is that this is La Fouke. And, and the Mephoshim all say this. La Fouke Chutzlaretz. That, that's standard. You can't defile Chutzlaretz, right? That's, that's the whole point of being in Eretz Yisrael, that you can defile it. Like, you know, who wants to be in a place where you get up in the next morning and nothing happened? Eretz Yisrael, you know, you're responsible. So here it says, Lo yitam'u el michutz la machane, velo yitam'u et machanehem, asher ani shochein betocham. So that what the Torah is saying, like I'm just learning lay shot without, without being clever and without trying to trick you. It says that why did you have to have a machane in the desert? Because the machane in the desert is preparatory for life in Eretz Yisrael. And what is life in Eretz Yisrael? That the machane can be defiled. That's what, I mean, it's like a, it's like a new idea. That the inanimate uh, uh, part of Eretz Yisrael, which, which there's a kind of, a, there's a, kind of a, a symbiotic relationship, right? The people and the land. Or the people and the place. In the desert, there's no place. Right? There's no place. That's already said in the Pirti de Ravaloza. The desert is no place at all. It's the place that God did not create. Imagine that. I'm glad somebody said that before me because it puts you in the category of an apostate, right? (laughs) But I'm quoting. I'm quoting. God did not create the desert. What's the raya? I know you're going to tell me you saw National Geographic something else, but it doesn't matter. The raya that that God did not create the desert is that you can't live in the desert. You can't live. You can't build. You can't because, because existence is either creative or it's non-existence. Right? That's what, that's what uh, uh, the Pirkei de Ravalosa seems to be saying. You can't exist since, since the desert is a place that people don't live in. They pass through sometime. They run from oasis to oasis, but they don't really live there. So that's not created. That's not created because created means a place that creation can go on. That creation is, is enhanced. That's what creation is. So the desert is not creation. But here, HaKadosh Baruch says, in a kind of a backwards way, because he's talking about Saru and Zav and Tamel and Nefesh. But what he's really saying, what the Torah is really saying is, that within the desert, you're going to create a place. A place that will be welcoming to the spirit of HaKadosh Baruch. That's what it says in the Pesach. I mean, it's not like, uh, all I did, all I'm doing is reading the Pesach. 
which is not so tricky. Right? That's what it, it is going on. And therefore, the Tsarua, the Zav, and the Tamil Nefesh, they can't live together with the place that you have created. And having created the place, Dvarim, Perak Aleph, Tarabay, Perak Gibbon, Perak Dalit, now Perak Hay, you've got to get them out. You've got to get the Tsarua, the Zav, and the Tamei, the Nefesh out. And then the Pasuk says, Vayasu came B'nei Yisrael. This is not part of what it says in the Pasha of Tazria, which I read to you previously. It doesn't say Vayasu came. It just says, this is the ruling. Remember, you're learning about Mitzorah. That's how you learn. Right, you read a Mishnah, the Mishnah says one thing, and you say, hey, didn't I once learn this? Did I learn something else? You know, it makes sense to kind of flesh things out. But here, Vayasu came B'nei Yisrael means, means that the time for Kiyom HaMitzvah, the time for assuming the mitzvah that is described here in the Pasuk had come, and they did it. Right? It wasn't true in the book of Ayikra. In the book of Ayikra, at least the way it's described to us, even though I don't talk about the timeline, I know exactly what happened. It's described to us. We don't know when the book of Ayikra, how long it took the book of Ayikra to be taught by Moshe Rabbeinu to B'nai Yisrael. But here it's clear they did it. And they existed. They existed. Right? They did exist. How do you know they existed? Well, it says in the Pasuk, so the Torah is not going to lie about a thing like that. But how do you know it? How do you know? What? You know it because they came to Moshe Rabbeinu and they said, Pesach Sheni. That was the answer. They said that we are Tmei Lenevish. We can't bring the Korban Pesach. Who would want to miss out on Korban Pesach the first year? The first chance you get to do Korban Pesach to miss out. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, okay, Pesach Sheni. Where's that parasha? In next week's parasha. Mm-hmm. Next week's parasha. Which means it was read only 51 weeks ago. <laughs> Which is, you know... It's not like the little kids who know the parak and the posuk, right? <laughs> we know 51 weeks ago. That's so, uh, not so overwhelming. But Yasu came b'nei Yisrael v'shalchu otam v'chusel machanek rashid v'ashem v'moshe kein asu b'nei Yisrael. Okay? So that's great. Now let's look at Rashi. Let's look at Rashi. Rashi says this. Rashi says this. Let's look at Rashi. Rashi says this. Rashi says this. Tzavet b'nei Yisrael. Tzavet b'nei Yisrael. Parsha zo Rashi quotes a Gemara. Rashi quotes a Gemara. He doesn't explain to us what the words of the Pasuk means, but he tells us something. Something that he thinks you should know. Of course, those kids in the Zilber Mecheder, they know the Gemara in Gittin Baal Peh. It's only Daf Samach, 60 out of 90. You know, so they certainly got up to there. Right? So, so they know it. But for us, we might forget it. So Rashi reminds us of a Gemara. Right? In other words, even though Rashi is a Parshan, which we generally take to mean he's going to explain things to us that are written in the Pasuk, sometimes... Often, Rashi tells us things that he thinks we should remember when we come across this Pasuk. Because if you don't remember it, you're not going to get something. Something's going to be missing in your analysis. So let's see what's missing in our analysis. So Rashi says this. Rashi says, Parsha Zonem Rabbi Yom Shukama Mishkan. Yom Shukama Mishkan is the day that the Mishkan was set up. What's the day that the, what day of the year was the Mishkan set up? We talked about that. Aleph, Rosh Chodesh, Nisan. Where in the Torah is the Mishkan set up? Where in the Torah is the Mishkan set up? In which parsha? No, in Shemot the, the Mishkan is built. The Mishkan is sent up in Shmini. In Shmini. Vayhi Bayom HaShmini. What is it the eighth day of? Of Yemei HaMiluim. What are the Yemei HaMiluim? They're like the run-in for the Mishkan. Like Moshe put up the Mishkan, took down the Mishkan, put up the Mishkan. After eight days, he put up the Mishkan, and that was it. That's called Mishkan. On the eighth day, there was a Mishkan. So the eighth day was Aleph, 
Aleph Nisan. Now, I don't know what day we're talking about, but I showed you, and you're supposed to remember, that the first Pasuk in the book of Bamidbar says, says, B'chodesh, B'chodesh What's B'chodesh Hashenei? Eya. What's B'chodesh Harishon? Nisan. So that the Pasha of Shemini took place, yeah, okay, Shemini was Bechodesh HaRishon. It is Bechodesh earlier is the Bechodesh HaRishoni. So that means that this parasha took place after Yom HaKamat HaBishkan. What does the Gemara say? What does the Gemara say? That this parasha was actually taught to Moshe Rabbeinu on what day of the calendar year? What? Al of Nisan. That's what he was taught, taught to Moshe Rabbeinu. That was taught to Moshe Rabbeinu on Aleph Nisan. That was taught to Moshe Rabbeinu on Aleph Nisan. Then, then what's it doing here? Because this is not Aleph Nisan. That's Rashi. Rashi says, I want you to remember that there is a kind of an issue that the Gemara reflects. And that issue is that teaching the mitzvah and Kiyum HaMitzvah did not always take place at the same time. Because when was the teaching of the mitzvah of Kol Sarua V'Kol Zav? When's the teaching of that, of that mitzvah? Aleph Nisan. Just like the teaching of the mitzvah that the mitzvah had to be sent out of the Machana, which we saw before. But when was the Kiyum HaMitzvah? Well, here... so. Why you could say, you could say to, so why did the Torah choose to say do it this way? Why didn't the Torah teach us this parsha in the book in the parsha of Shmini and then just tell us here Vayasu came today Israel? Question. I don't know. I don't know. But what Rashi is saying is that the Torah chose to make its presentation to us in a non-chronological way. When was it that these halachot were taught to B'nai Yisrael? Shmini. When was it that the, Torah, that the Torah taught these things to posterity? Here, on the, in Eor. Here in Eor. And Rashi says, Rashi says without blinking, because that's how Rashi is. Parashas on them, Rabbi Yom Shukov, Mishikov, Mishah, Shemot, Parashas on them, Rubo, B'yom, so that that's what Rashi says. Now you know that Rashi is a great believer in the principle of Ein Mukdam Umuchar Torah, which I mentioned last week. And what does Ein Mukdam Umuchar Torah mean? What does it mean? It means that chronology is not a necessary component of the order of the Torah. Does it mean that the Torah is against chronology? Certainly not. The Torah is in favor of chronology. Avram, then Yitzchak, then Yaakov, then Yosef, then Moshe, then Aaron. I don't have to go on, right? It's in favor of chronology, but sometimes it presents material in a non-chronological way. This is called non-chronological because when did the the teach Moshe Rabbeinu these halachas, B'chodesh HaRishon, on Aleph Nisan. When did he teach it to us? When did he sort of teach it to us? B'chodesh HaSheni in Iyad. And the Torah, according to Rashi, Rashi doesn't find that problematic, and that itself is an interesting question. But that's a fact. That's what Rashi says. Ein Mukta Mucha Torah. Of course, we learn that, as you know, from the Gemara Psochim, the Gemara Pesachim Davav Amud Beis. The Gemara talks about Pesach Sheni. I showed you that if you look at Parak Tes Pasuk Aleph, you have a Chumash, and you look at Bamidbar Parak Tes Pasuk Aleph. Parak Tes Pasuk Aleph relates a story that happened B'chodesh Harishon, right? The story of Pesach Sheni. The story of Pesach Sheni. Nachamol. The story of Pesach Sheni is told in Bamidbar in Parak Tes. Parak Tes. We're up to Parak. Hey, so next week, Perek Tes. Perek Tes is the story of Pesach Sheni. When did the story of Pesach Sheni take place? In Nisan, Chodesh HaRishon. Before Pesach or after Pesach? Before Pesach. Of course it took place before Pesach. It took place during Nisan, before Pesach. When does the beginning, when does the, what is the date in the beginning of the book of Bamidbar? 
What? Chodesh Hashani. You know, it's the beginning of Amidbar took place in Chodesh Hashani. The continuation of Amidbar took place in Chodesh Arisha. So from this, the Gemara learns that Eimukdam umuchar b'Torah. The Gemara says it. This is not like some kind of hallucination of Parshanut. The Gemara says Eimukdam umuchar b'Torah. But the Parshanim of Mechlekes, they disagree about something. Baruch Hashem. What do they disagree about? Well, no, no, nobody talks about significance. They just try to figure out what's going on. What's the sig- There's no significance. The bachlokas between the Mephoshim is that Rashi and the Ibn Ezra both say that whenever you have a problem of, 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 uh, of chronology, the problem of chronology is solved by the principle. It's a, it's a solution. You don't have to know why. You don't have to know why. You want to figure out why? All right, so that's good. So you're a philosopher. You can figure out why. But, but it's not a catcher. You know, when somebody comes and asks you another question that starts with the word why, so you can say because. That's what Rashi, that's what Rashi and Ibn Ezra say. Always. Why? Because. What does the Ramban say? The Ramban says no. That that principle, Ein Mukdamu Mukharba Torah, only applies in those places where the Torah explicitly says so. Like in the beginning of Amidbar. Because in the beginning of Amidbar it says Chodesh Hasheni. In the continuation of Amidbar it says Chodesh Arisha. So there of course it's Ein Mukdam Mubuchabat What's there? No one could argue about that. But when the Torah doesn't say it you can't use this principle as a trick to kind of overcome your own inadequacies in Parshanut. That's the position of the Ramban. So you have Rashi and Ibn Ezra on one side, and the Ramban on the other side. And this argument comes up ten times in the Chumash. Now, I may be mistaken about that. It may be nine. <laughs> but anybody wants to check, I'll be happy to hear from you. So I'll go back to my original position. It comes out at least ten times in the Chumash, where Rashi and the Ramban and the Ibn Ezra are sort of like fight this out, but there's no fight, because each one of them assumes a position and there's no way to argue it. There's no way to argue it. So that's what, that's what the Pasuk, that's what the Pasuk says. Now, one more Rashi. One more Rashi. First, the first Rashi was about Eimukta Muchabater. Now there's another Rashi. That's the Tzivui. You have to send out of the Machane called Sarov, called Zav, etc. So Rashi teaches us Something that the Pasuk does not teach us clearly. Right before Rashi, there was an absolute integration between the Chumash and everything in Torah Shabbat Peh. But it wasn't like they were layered. It wasn't like, and here's another layer of interpretation. But the basic layer of interpretation is the integration of Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat Peh. That's what happened that's what happened for Rashi. That's what happened for Rashi. That's how Rashi teaches us the Chumash. So Rashi says this. There were three uh, um, camping, camp spots. Within the, uh, the curtains of the Mishkan, of the Ol Moed, that's where the Shekhinah dwelt. And around that, if you have children or grandchildren who go to kindergarten or to cheder, they all brought this picture home with them. Every kid in Yerushalayim brought this picture home on the parasha Bamidbar, where they have like a little square in the middle and flags around the side, which indicate and the and the kid gets a crayon and messes up the whole picture, <laughs> and then he comes home and or she comes home and gives it to her mother or father and says, "I'm learning Torah now." From there, from the Levium, until the end of the Degalim, those flags that all the Shvatim kind of raised up, in all the four directions, who Machane Yisrael? 
the one who is, has tzarat, right, the one who is afflicted with tzarat, he has to go out of all, the, all of these camps. Hazav, mutab b'machane Yisrael, bishulach minashtayim. The Zav can stay in the camp, he can like stay at home, but he can't come close to the Leviim or to the Shechina. V'tomei l'nefesh mutar af b'shel Leviya. V'edu mishulach el mishel Shechina. Somebody who's tomei l'nefesh, someone who has come into contact with a dead body, only has to leave the Machana Shechina. V'kol zedo shirabotenu minekraot b'masechet p'sachim. So what does Rashi say? Mikraot means from the psuki. They learn it from the psuki. So that means that there's an absolute integration between what Chachamim learned and what the Torah tells us. Even though in the Pasuk, it doesn't say that at all. What's the impression that you get when you read the Pasuk? That all these three people have to be kicked out of the whole caboodle, like whatever it is. Kick them all out. So what does Rashi come and say? Rashi says, look, anybody who reads the Chumash and doesn't pay attention to the information that Chazal supplied us with is just not getting it right. You're not reading the Chumash. That's not the Chumash. That's something else. Right? That's something else. And you know that for most people, most people, the most significant thing that they have to learn for themselves is what is pshat? Like, that's what everybody wants. Everybody wants to just know what it says. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Everybody knows that you can all like, sort of sit back on your, uh, on your easy chair and read the Pesach and come up with some kind of interesting idea. Right? After all, we're so deluged with interesting ideas. There's got to be one that applies to whatever Pesach you happen to be reading. But this may not comply with what you really think pshat is because pshat includes an integration of thousands of years of enterprise. Right? It's not true. It's not true that the way we do it is everybody starts over again. That's not the way we do it. True, sometimes people have interesting ideas and sometimes there are modern day commentaries like the Nitziv and, uh, and uh, the Ksav Kabbalah and they have interesting ideas. And they can be kind of assumed. They can be put in. But none of them starts from zero. There's no traditional Jewish commentary that starts from zero. Because you miss out on the whole, on the whole thing. I mean, the whole idea is to have the Chumash as it has been integrated into like the, the, the Jewish way of thinking about things for 3,000 years. Because the other Chumash that's based on, the other Chumash that's based on ignorance, right, is not as interesting. It's it just not, you know, it's not, you know, if you want to say, okay, I'm going to start from zero. And you know why I'm going to do that? Because I know zero. And so it's convenient for me. I mean, why am I going to do? I'm going to go and study 2,000 years of interpretation in order not to be at zero. Yeah. We'll start from zero. We'll start from zero. So, so, so be careful. Don't allow yourself to be impressed. It's very easy to say something that's different. And it's much harder to say something that accommodates this tremendous weight of thousands of years of interpretation. But for me, anyway, I can't, uh, I can't uh, force it upon you. It's basically worth it. Okay? Now look at the Rashbam. The Rashbam... On the sheet, you see the Rashbam is the Ram is Rashi's uh, Rashi's son-in-law, grandson. Rashi's grandson, good. But he's in the family. He was like Rashi's. He finished it up. Like whatever Rashi like was, you know, couldn't make it to the finish line. Along came the Rashbam. He finished it up. It's not clear, even though the Rashbam himself tries to explain it, why he wrote a commentary on the Chumash. It's not so clear. We understand on the Gemara where the Rashbam kind of makes it into Shas. It's because Rashi either didn't finish or was not able yet to expand things as he would have liked to. It was as a pragmatic rationale. But the Rashbam writing a commentary on the Chumash when Rashi was so uh, well accepted and highly regarded is not perfectly clear. So you know that at the beginning of Ayeshev, the Rashbam writes an introduction in which he tries to in the manner of modern-day confessions, tries to explain why he did it. Right? The Rashbam. The Rashbam. I mean, 
you know, if you learn, you can't learn Pesachim, you can't learn Basra, you can't, you know, you can't move in Torah without the Rashbam. So the Rashbam said, look, I know you'd like to know why I did it. So he says, he says, I went to my grandfather and I said to him, what do you think? You think I should write a commentary? And now I'll editorialize a little bit. But if you want to write, see what he really said, you can look it up. The beginning of Vayeshev. Why the introduction to the commentary of Ashram is the beginning of Vayeshev? Loyodeh. Loyodeh. It's a scholarly question. So the Rashbam says, I went to my grandfather and I said to him, what should I do? Should I write my commentary in the Chumash? And he said, yeah, go ahead. But he gave him a reason. He said to Rashi, he said, He said, Rashi, you sort of locked us into a certain system of learning. But once there's Rashi, we can look at the Psukim again. We can try to see what the message in the Torah is without Rashi. In other words, when you have Rashi, and you know the Chumash with Rashi, you can look at it again. Because then you're not, it's not like the ignorance in you that's looking. It's something else that's looking. And that's what I want to do, the Rashbam says. And even though much ink has been spilled trying to figure out exactly what that means, and even though I have to admit I haven't spilled any ink on the question at all. <laughs> Nevertheless, I like it. I like this idea. So Rashi said, okay. Now let's see what the Rashbam said. After Rashi told us what he told us. So obviously the Rashbam thought that he should add something. Right? I mean, every parashan is trying to add something. But most parashanim are not the grandson of Rashi. And they're not trying to live up to something. They're like not like living in a world where everybody knows, where everybody says... They learn a positive comment and they say, what did Rashi say? There's the Rashbam. I mean, he was fighting. He was fighting that. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine like, a, like somebody like who's, like everybody he learns, everybody, everybody you learn, and everybody you look, there's Rashi. I mean, we're so used to it that we learn the Gemara as though it was Rashi. We don't even ask, but it's not even a question. Nobody tries to figure out the Gemara. I mean, no one I know. Maybe somebody. But most people don't try to figure out the Gemara. They go there and look at Rashi. Used to that. Now they look at Schottenstein. But Schottenstein... <laughs> Schottenstein looked at Rashi. <laughs> no, no. To, to, to their, to their uh, merit, they admit it. There's a Rashi. Bam. I'll translate. After there was all organized, all the machane, right? You guys here, and you guys there, the Vim here, the Shrina there, and the Torah taught us how they would camp, right? Then the Torah had to say, the Torah, even though it's masculine and feminine, but I think the antecedent is the Torah. That's say this halacha. You had to do it. So what does the Rashbam say? What does the Rashbam say? If Rashi gave you the impression that this is a case of Ein Mukdamu Mukharba Torah, I tell you that it's not. Why is it not? Because even if the Gemara is right that Moshe Rabbeinu learned this parasha when? When did Moshe Rabbeinu learn this parasha according to the Gemara? And the parasha Shemini when they put up the Mishkan. But when was the right place for Moshe Rabbeinu to teach this parasha? Right here? Because, because it came up? It came up. I mean, I have to, okay, I have to teach about Tum of Atara. Teach about Tum of Atara. So you don't have to go and, uh, and, and get a pig in the desert and not eat it. Uh, you don't have to do that but here since you're going to do it in another month you're going to get rid of the Tzaru and the Zav and, 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 uh, in another month so the time that Moshe Rabbeinu would choose naturally to teach this parasha to B'nai Yisrael or the, 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 the time that HaKadosh Baruch Hu would tell Moshe Rabbeinu to write the parasha down in the Torah would be at this time so you see that the Rashbam 
Rabbi has something to say. It's something to say. Whereas, according to Rashi, it sounded to us like there was a problem of order, and that problem of order could only be solved by using some kind of uh, 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 impressive principle. Ein mukdam muhabat Torah. Along with the Rashbam, and he says, no, these two, these, this Gemara in Gitin that says that Moshe better learned the parsha. And the, and the Torah here, the teachers of the parasha here, are not, you know, in, in, in vying for attention. They're, they're both, they're both positions are correct. Both positions are correct. Here we're talking about, there the question was, when did Moshe Rabbeinu learn the parasha? And here the question is, when did Moshe Rabbeinu teach the parasha? And he taught the parasha since he knew it would be a practical matter. So he taught the parasha when the practical side of things came up. That's what the, that's what the Rashbam that's what the Rashban says. Now we'll look at the Ramban. I told you, the Ramban is against Rashi and the and the Ibn Ezra Kiseida, right? All over the Chumash, we're beginning to end. Also in the Tanakh, sometimes it comes up that Yesh Mukdam Muhammadari. That means that according to the Ramban, the Torah is always chronological. What is written first came first, happened first. Unless the Torah itself says that there's a deviation from chronology. If the Torah doesn't say that, then it's chronological. So the Ramban says, After the Mishkan was set up, Oh, so you see what the Ramban said? The Ramban agrees with, in, this, in our complex, right? The Ramban agrees with the Rajbam that there's no problem of Ein Mukta Muhabatara. And when was the proper place to teach this Torah about the Tzaruah, the Zav, and the Tzavim Nefesh? Now, after the Mishkan was built. But you have to say that the Ramban adds a note here. He adds, a, adds something. What does the Ramban say? The Rabban says, Ra'ui she bo What is Ra'ui she bo The practical application of this halacha is mind-boggling. Because it's not just, since there's a machaneh, let's get rid of the tzaru and the zav and the tomei nefesh. But in order to turn the machaneh into a place that's worthy of the dwelling of the Shekhinah, which is what Rashi said, and what the Torah said. Right? Everybody, everybody says that. What do you have to do? You have to get rid of the Tameh and the Zav and the, uh, the Tzorua and the Zav and the Tameh Nefesh. That's what the Ramban said. It was the Ramban says, he's the one who really has you. The Ramban of all the Beforeship had this very profound notion of Eretz Yisrael and a place and Tuma and, and how the place and the way you live are somehow integrated with each other, and here the Ramban says, I mean, of course it's a, it's a kind of remez, but the Ramban says, I think, the Ramban says that the, uh, uh, that now the machaneh, in order for it to be a machaneh, you had to do this. This was not an incidental law, it was not as though, as though it was some kind of esoterica. You know, uh, think about whether halachically you do have to do this chumrah or you don't have to do this chumrah, but that according to the Ramban, Shiluach Hatzaruah Hazav and Atamela Nefesh is part of building the Mishkan. Right? How do you make the Mishkan? What's the mark of a patish? Well, how do you knock that final nail into the building that's called the Mishkan? You get rid of the Tzaruah and the Zav and the Tomei La Nefesh. That's what the Ramban says. And then the Ramban makes this interesting. Uh, interesting addition. He says, And we know that last week we learned that the Ramban said there are a lot of mitzvahs in the book about Midbar that are, he calls them, mitzvot temporary, time-bound, right? They only existed for a time. Mitzvot but these are mitzvot. These mitzvot are miyadol l'dorot. What does he mean? I mean, after all, life in Eretz Yisrael was never going to be the Machaneh of the Midbar. Because the Machaneh of the Midbar included everybody. They were all in the Machaneh of the Midbar. 
But in Eretz Yisrael, it was a little bit different. You had to go to Yerushalayim, you had to come up to the Beit HaMikdash, you had to come and bring a Korban. It wasn't quite the same. It wasn't like if you lived in Tel Aviv, you were in the Machane. Even though you were, I mean, if you really didn't pay attention to who you were, it would be bad for, it would be bad for everybody. But that's not what the Ramban means. That around Yerushalayim, around the, the Mokom HaMikdash, around the Azara, we know that all of these rules of Tum Vitara, etc., did apply to a certain extent, but that's what the Ramban says. That's what the Ramban says. So we see that, that the distinction between whether you say at least according to the Ramban against Rashi is not simply a question that has to be considered in some objective way which is Rashi Rashi says the Gemara says so if the Gemara says it the Gemara is right and if the Gemara is right so it must have been given to Bnei Yisrael B'yom Ashmini on Rosh Chodesh Nisa and therefore the only way we can understand the deployment of the Psukim is by saying even though Rashi doesn't use those words here but it would seem that that's what he means and that's what the Mephosheth of Rashi seems to imply like the Gurarye and others on the other hand on the other hand you could say as the Rashbam said that in the order of things you have to have a, a machane. once you have a machane, you get rid of the Tmeim right? that's the Rashbam and therefore the problem of doesn't count. Allah comes the Ramban, and the Ramban says, not only can't you uh, think or imagine but this is the most reasonable order that the Torah could ever have imagined. Because what is it we're trying to do? We're trying to create the Machane. We're trying to create the Mishkan. And creating the Mishkan demands sending out the Tzaru and the Zav. It's not that if you have a machane, you've got to get rid of them. Right? It's not that. It's in order to have a machane, you have to get rid of them. So that Chazal often say that the Dor Hamidbar, the people who lived in the desert, lived somehow in a more perfect world than, uh, than we've ever lived in since. And this is perhaps one of the proofs, this Ramban who says that the Mishkan was created by Am Yisrael. It was something that we did and therefore we had to live up to the standard demanded by the Mishkan in order that this Machane, in order that this Machane should exist. Now I want to learn something from the Meshiloch. The Meshiloch, the Meshiloch is a, is a Hasidic Rebbe, which depending on your inclination is either good or bad. But I know one thing. There are no modern Orthodox Hasidic Rebbein. <laughs> there aren't any. So, however that sits with you, it'll sit with you. The, the Meshilov is a very, uh, very interesting person, very creative, uh, often the subject of uh, some sort of controversy. Uh, he's considered by uh, many Litvaks to be uh, um, a little bit dangerous, you know, have a little dangerous ideas. Meshilov was uh, translated to English, a very fine translation by Basal Edwards, who's sitting right here. It's not easy to be famous, Basal. So, so the 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 Meshilov, the Meshilov lived at the end of the 19th century, the end of the 19th century, right? The end of the 19th century. It was like 1,900 years without the Beis HaMikdash. It was 2,500 years without the Bayez Rishon. I mean, there's a difference in Bayez Rishon, Bayez Sheni. But assuming the Bayez Rishon, you know, was a very high level of existence, and that somehow we managed to keep most of the halachas that are, consumed, that are connected to the Beis HaMikdash, Bayez Rishon, it was a long time afterwards. He said, what's somebody going to say about these parshas? I mean, what are you going to say about these psukim? that Rashi, the Ramban, the Rashbam haven't already said and that's not in a Gemara here or that, what did it say? I mean, what's the issue? what's the issue? you ever notice that sometimes you go to school, you go to high school that Chumash is not interesting? you never notice that? because they always say, what is the, this is the test 
Ma'amar Aleph, Ma'amar Bet, Ma'amar Gimel, Ma'amar Dalet. Is anything more, less interesting than that? I mean, like, you know. So I'm telling you, here's the Meshilach. Here's the Meshilach, okay, you don't know who the Meshilach is, and you don't know when he lived, and you don't know what he did, but, uh, but he's like a, a modern commentary. How's that? He's a modern commentary on the Chumash. So the Meshilach lived 2,500 years after maybe 3,000 years after the desert, right? What are you going to say? If you have modern commentary, you could say, in the hype of, in those days, you know, you sort of like, you talk about it as though it has nothing to do with you. So that's called modern. But the Meshulam is not like that. That's what he thought it had something to do with him. He thought it had something to do with him. So he says, he looks at these psukim, like five psukim in the Torah, and he gets, he gets upset. He said, how can it be five psukim in the Torah? I have nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with There's no Tzaruah, there's no Zad, there's no Tomei Lanefesh, because it, for one reason or another, it's all cancelled out. And not only that, there's no base on Mikdus, there's no Machaneh. Right? That's 0 for 6. No <laughs> 6. So, so we, we don't mind. You know, I always, you know, sometimes I go to shuls in America, I mean, I go to America and then I go to shul. <laughs> I want people to say I don't go to shul. So I go to shul. So they say there's a ritual in shul. There's a ritual in shul. It happens about, uh, I don't know, it happens like when, when more people come. Like if you come early to shul, so there's nobody there. So it doesn't happen then. But when more people come, when you approach like Kriya Satorah in the morning, so there's a ritual. The rabbi gets up and starts screaming about how everybody should stop talking. I never could understand. To me, it seemed like, you know, the most animated and alive thing that happened in any of these shoes is people talking to each other. <laughs> and when they stop talking to each other, it's like death, sudden death comes over the, comes over the shul, you know. They're all looking at each other, like, who's the first person who's going to talk, you know. So they say, what happens if they read the Pasha of Ayikra? What happens if they read this book of Ayikra? They're carbonos and tumavatara and these animals, those animals. Who knows what a kosher animal is? You go to the supermarket, it has a big K on it. You buy it. What do you have? Do you have to know something? Did, I, did, did, did any young women ever see a, a piece of kosher meat with legs and feet? <laughs> Never. Right? The, 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 the meat is born in saran wrap. Right? That's how it comes. It comes in saran wrap. So you come to Vayikra. So read the Pasha Vayikra. So I see, like, how do they put up with it? It's easy. They're talking. <laughs> no, it's a great palliative. You know, everybody's talking to each other. So who knows what's going on? But the Balkari maybe knows what he's reading. So here's the Meshilach. It bothers him. He wants it to be his Torah. You know, you know what I mean? He doesn't want to just know about it, which is cute, but he wants it to be his. How is it going to be his? He says he wants to read the Torah. He wants to be a changed person. He wants it to have an effect on him every day, every year, every parsha. And that's, that's the way he was. Not only the Meshulah. The Meshulah had his shita. But all, all modern interpreters of the Torah, all the Hasidish Rebbeim and all the Rashi Yeshiva and all the Rabbonim who are, who are good Rabbonim, that's all, that all they want. They wanted to talk to them. They want to talk to it. They want to be together. They want to be together. So what does the Meishilach say? Look at the Meishilach. That's the Pasuk. So what does he focus on? He focuses on the Tzaruah and the Zav and the Tamei Lanefesh. He says, Teruah, everybody knows, is kas, is anger. Ki avon lashon hara. And everybody knows that tzarat, leprosy, is the punishment for the sin of lashon hara, of idle talk. Zehu bal The Zav. What happened to the Zav? Zav. Who ba'al ta'ava. It's a mistake. Zav. Who ba'al ta'ava. Because a Zav. What? 
Vitamela Nefesh, who atzvut. Yeah, those are the three, right? The three people here. So he says he turns each person into a quality, into a human, uh, a characteristic. And he says, what's the characteristic of tzavua? He, uh, of tzavua? He says, anger. Why anger? We don't know yet. But he says, tzara'at, leprosy, is connected to Lashon Hara. Zav is nocturnal emissions, which has something to do with sexual activity, and that's called the Baal Tava, somebody who, who lives for his desires, or her desires. la Nefesh, listen to this, la Nefesh, somebody who becomes Tamei, because he comes into contact with a dead person, that's Atzvut. Atzvut means, well, uh, like, like depression, like being depressed. You have to say a, a harsh word. It doesn't just mean sadness, but it means depression. V'lachem. Hatsaruah nishtalach mishalosh hamachanot. Tsaruah has to be said, the guy who is at Tzorat, has to be said to have all three camps. Kimidot ka'as einlo chelek v'yisrael. That's what he says, because anger, remember he said, Tsaruah equals ka'as, equals Lashonara, the Avon of Lashonara. Now he's saying something about Kaas. What does he say about Kaas? Say something very, very extreme. That Kaas, ain't lo makom be, be Yisrael. Ain't lo makom be, ain't lo chelik be Yisrael. Now why is that? Why is that? Why is Kaas ain't lo chelik be Yisrael? But you could say it, I reckon say it, but they have no, the Beishi Loch do a lot of Torah. So it would be reasonable that we look into it. Who else thinks that Kaas ain't lo makom be, ain't lo chelik be Yisrael? The Rambam, Yafeh, the Rambam. Rambam was not a chosid. L'cha'ura. Right? You know, there's the story about the Balatanya. The Balatanya, the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, they had a yeshiva. Right? And the yeshiva had three floors in it. And you come to the yeshiva, you in the, in the bottom floor. And you're supposed to know everything when you came to the yeshiva, but you spent a year learning what's called nigla. Nigla means when you read books that sort of make sense then you went up and you made it you went to another floor floor number two and you learned Nistar Nistar means Kabbalah and Zohar you learned that for a year and then when you finished you were an expert in Nigla and Nistar you went up to the third floor and you learned Rambam that's the story so that the Rambam whether or not the Rambam was a Chosid or a Misnagid I mean this will leave the Hasidim and the Misnagdim to this argument but the Rambam says definitely that Kaas is the worst Aveira in the list of Aveiras. And whose Aveira was Kaas, of course? Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? When Moshe Rabbeinu hit the rock, instead of speaking to the rock, that wasn't his Aveira according to the Rambam. The Aveira was that he was angry. And why is that the worst Aveira of all the Aveiras? Because Kaas does not enable you to think reasonably. And in order to be reflective of the will of the Torah, you have to think reasonably. Once you stop thinking reasonably, there's no Torah. The, once you start yelling and screaming, you're angry, right, something happened to you on the road, or wherever it happened, that, that's not Torah. That response takes you out of Torah. So the punishment for Moshe Rabbeinu, interestingly enough, that he couldn't be part of the machane in Eretz Yisrael. That's what he lost. He couldn't lead. His, his leadership somehow had become blemished by what happened with the, the water and the anger. That's the position of the Rambam. So here the Meishi Lohs says, Eilu chedim Yisrael, v'azav mishtalech rak mimachane levio, mimachane shechino. The zav is uh, not so bad. It's not as bad as the Tzara'at. The Tzara'at guy, he's got anger. This guy, he's got Ta'ava. He's got these desires. He's only, he only has to leave two of the camps. Hainu kimidot ha-ta'ava lo ye'otet talmidei chachamim. And he says, because talmidei chachamim should not be consumed by desire. They shouldn't be led in their lives and the way they live and the things they do by desire. And therefore... Even though this guy might be a Talmud Chacham, which is what the implication of the Meshiloch is, he still can't come so close to the Shekhinah. 
ותמילה נפש זה אינו משתלח רק ממחנה שכינה. ותמילה נפש is not allowed to enter into the area of the שכינה, but the other two camps he's permitted to ask. כי גם בתלמידי חכמים נמצא לפעמים מידות העצבות. כמו שכתוב בגמרא, and he says sometimes תלמידי חכמים are consumed by עצבות, by, by uh, this, this depression, a depressive kind of feeling about things. And this is what the Gemara in Ta'anit says, Oraitahu demir t'chelein, that the Torah itself causes you this reaction, verutcho hi atzvot, rak mimachane shechina mishtalach, ki oz v'chedva b'mkomo. So the Ramba, the Meishiloch is talking about the good people. He's talking about the Talmidei Chachamim. He's talking about people who devote their lives to Torah. And he says amongst the people who devote their lives to Torah, there is a Tzarua, and there is a Zav, and there is a Tamei La Nefesh. That's what the, that's what the, uh, um, that's what the Meishiloch said. And he says, when you read the parasha, when you read the parasha in our day, in our time, we go to shul and we listen to the words, he says, what, what should you hear? You should hear the fact that no one is totally safe. Everybody has to be watchful. And 